Well, let me offer my greetings to you this morning, and uh, thank you for joining us here uh, in person or online. It's uh, wonderful to gather as God's people and to uh, worship Him, to pray, to hear from His Word, which is what we're going to get into in just a moment. I want to uh, just reiterate some of the things that Pastor Brad was uh, sharing with you. We're very excited about uh, this next stage, and uh, I hope you sense from us that we have been uh, very careful, prudent, uh, but also seeking to be as flexible and free as we can and to kind of meet everybody where they're at and to provide options for that. And I hope you sense that in us. One thing I want to highlight uh, is that Brad mentioned that we want to have children's ministry for all ages, kind of like as we normally do. And as we stand today, we are in need of a large number of volunteers to serve in the children's ministry for us to pull that off. Uh, you might think it just magically happens somehow, you know, uh, in the church, people just magically appear and uh, that ministry goes forward, and it's just not the case. It takes God's people to uh, step up and to, and to serve. And I would just add this, many of you probably uh, have been on somewhat like what, a six-month sabbatical, a six-month serving sabbatical, uh, and it's about time that you get back to that. And so maybe you would consider the children's ministry, if you're interested in that, uh, you can go to BethelWeb.org forward slash kids. There is a very simple form to fill out, and we can take it from there, and uh, we would be very blessed to have your help in doing this. It's a vitally important ministry. I also thought I would just encourage you with something. You know, one of the ministries of our church that that operates, I would say, in the, in the, in the background, but in some ways it's more in the, in the, in the tech uh, the radio waves of uh, our community is our radio ministry, our media ministry called The Journey. And uh, this is a 30-minute program that is on Moody Radio, Chicago, and Indiana. Uh, we're, we have a program six days a week, and we're just pumping out God's Word as, uh, as best we can, spreading the seed, and see what happens. And we, we often hear from people, or people actually come to our, our church as a result of uh, first listening to the journey. But uh, this week we just had an encouragement. I, I was told that there were two women that showed up at our women's Bible study this week, and uh, they related to the leader that they actually first started listening to the journey. And then when uh, COVID hit, they joined us online, and now that we're kind of opening up ministries, here they are. And I share that with you as an example of uh, the kind of sort of, I don't know, asymmetrical, behind-the-scenes kind of ministries that aren't necessarily what you see on a, on a Sunday, but are having an effect in people's lives, and we certainly, we certainly want that. So, uh, praise God, he's continuing to build his kingdom in difficult times, and there's one example of that. Well, we are in Romans 14, and I've received a lot of very positive feedback from last Sunday's message. I only mention the positive feedback on the weeks that I actually get positive feedback. <laughs> so thankfully, I can report that this week. Very positive uh, feedback, and you know, why is that the case? Because we're living in this world with these incredibly divergent views on so many things, and even within the church, there are, uh, you know, divergent views on, on so many things, and Romans 14 provides a framework for how God's people can have differences of opinion, even on 
on some substantial matters and still remain united together in love. And what we see, we've seen in Romans 14 is that Paul writes this letter to this other church. Always easier to talk about other churches' problems, isn't it? So uh, this church at Rome, they had massive problems, and a lot of them related to these deeply uh, historical, racial, religious differences between two racial groups within the church. So you had the, uh, the Jewish Christians, these would have been people that were raised in synagogue, they were, they were uh, uh, you know, born and bred in the Levitical laws of the Old Testament, that from the time they can remember, they were learning you know, these uh, customs, and these things were deeply held in their hearts. They come to faith in Jesus, and you'd like to think that, boom, all that just you know, goes away, but the human heart doesn't operate that way. We are... We're very much uh, aligned with traditions, and even our conscience is aligned with things that uh, are from our childhood and from our past and important people in our life that told us these things. And so these Jewish Christians, they were, yes, believers, but they, they still thought that, you know, it's just not right, for example, to eat uh, pork. Jews don't eat pork. They only eat kosher food. And they were uncomfortable viewing every day as sacred because the Sabbath was the sacred day. And, and uh, Paul goes on to mention wine drinking as another issue in the church. And so the week, this was their position. On the other side, you've got, the, uh, you've got these Gentile Christians. And they didn't grow up with any of this Old Testament stuff. They didn't grow up, uh, you know, learning these things. They, they grew up pagan. Like, they grew up eating anything, everything, anytime that they wanted to. Drinking whatever. They just were all in with whatever's there. Maybe that sounds like your background. And uh, so these Gentile Christians, they come to faith in Christ and praise God. Jesus died for their sins and they embrace by faith. But now they're in community with these Jewish Christians who have a very different look on these kind of lifestyle sort of choices. And so the strong look at the weak and they think these people are silly and superficial and they're hung up on nothing stuff. And the weak Christians looked at the, what Paul calls the strong in faith Christians, the Gentile Christians, and says, no good Christian would participate in these things and I can't believe you call yourself a Christian and you do that. And you can see how in the church, boy, this would be uh, a big issue, particularly at the monthly church potluck. <laughs> Which leads really to the question, we've, I'm not going to get into this because we've done a couple messages already on it, but it, it really leads to a question, and if you've been tracking with me, I hope that you have had this in your mind, because within the church then, it really boils down to what things are essential things, and what things are, are unessential things. What, what are these, as Paul says in verse 1, chapter 14, what are these opinions? What are these disputable matters? How do I know the difference between what is something that is essential and I got to go to the mat about and things that I can be flexible about and maybe, you know, sort of go with the flow for the sake of unity? How do I know the difference between these two. And this is absolutely critical because if you listen to this series and, and you sort of go all Romans 14 on everything, then you possibly are going to think the essential things are also not that important. And therefore, let's not get that, you know, sort of hung up about these critical things. And as Paul makes clear, you change the gospel, 
You have a different gospel. And the problem with that is it's not a gospel that saves anybody. And now we're really at the root of the whole point of Romans 1 through 11. What is the gospel? And so we don't want to go Romans 4. We don't want to do Romans 14 on Romans 1 through 11. Right? Those things cannot change. So how do we know the difference between these two things? This is Romans 14, and we're beginning now in verse 13 of the chapter, and I'm gonna read through the end of the chapter. We're doing a couple messages on these verses, so if I don't hit it all, don't leave here going, he skipped over stuff, okay? So here's what it says. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord that Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let, do, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone who makes an, uh, for, it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. May God bless his word to us today. Now Paul makes some foundational points here. And uh, the, the, the first one, he just says it right away. He says, stop judging, right? Stop all of this judging. I think Paul would have liked something that I saw uh, years ago. I was traveling somewhere in the south, and for some reason I, I was uh, near to this small church in the south, and I happened to notice leaning against the, uh, the wall of the church signs that the church would put out on Sundays, you know, out in front of the church. And uh, I, I, I liked, I don't say I liked it, but I, I was intrigued enough that I took a picture and I've waited, I don't know, a dozen years to use this photo as a sermon illustration. And today the day has come. Because this is what the picture, this, look at what it, well, it disappeared. There we go. There, it went away again. I don't know, can we try to keep it up there? I'd like people to see this. There you go. No judging. <laughs> By the way, as you walk the sidewalk up to the church, we just want to remind you as you come into the church, no judging. I thought that was funny. I've waited a long time to use it. I think Paul would have liked that sign, especially if it said on the bottom, no judging in non-essential areas. Because that's what he's saying in Romans 14. No judging in the non-essential issues. All right, so well, what's essential and what's not essential and what are you trying to say here, Paul? Let's get into it now. And we see in verse 14 that Paul makes it clear that technically the strong are the ones who are right on, this, on these issues. What issues? Kosher foods, Sabbaths, 
Look at verse 14. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Now, if you're not familiar with that language, unclean, you maybe are one of them pagan Christians who uh, joined the church because this is itself Old Testament language. And it harkens back to the Levitical system in which, in Israel, there were certain things that, would, that were themselves unclean, and these would be, include you know, pork and other animals that they were not to eat, but there were things that could make you unclean. So if you touched a dead body, for example, for a period of time, you would be unclean. If you were, had leprosy, not only were you unclean, you had to shout, unclean, unclean, anytime you got around people who were clean and didn't have leprosy. And so the clean, unclean distinction was a big part of what it meant to live out the Levitical system in, in the Old Testament. And Paul here says, I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus Christ uh, that none of these things are inherently unclean. None, eating or drinking or doing any of these things don't make you unclean. And he says, I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus because Jesus himself taught that. I'll give you one example of this. He says in Mark 7, and he said to them, then are, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. Now that was a radical thing for Jesus to, uh, to say. And of course the Pharisees didn't like that and a host of other things that he said. But he was making the point the problem for human beings is not what I'm putting in my mouth. The problem is what is in my heart and what comes out in my life. It is the depravity of the human heart that is the issue. For from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we see in this, Paul is siding with the strong in faith. He's saying technically, they're right on these issues. Not the weak in faith, but the strong in faith who felt they could eat anything, that all days were sacred, and presumably the wine drinking he mentions in verse 21. Now here's a fuller theology of this. Paul also makes a statement of 1 Timothy, for everything God created is what? It's good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Okay, so everything is good that God has made if it is enjoyed according to God's will. Like fire is good unless you're an arsonist, right? Now fire is bad, so don't say, hey, fire's good, I'm gonna burn houses down. No, no, that's, that's bad. But fire itself is not bad, it's not the problem. And if you look at religions, really all the world religions in some way try to limit the human experience of the good creation that God has made. But Christianity has this robust, very earthy doctrine where we understand that when God looked at creation and said it is all very good, that even after the fall, it, it continues to have a moral beauty and a goodness about it, and therefore, it can be enjoyed by us. If it is enjoyed within his will, enjoyed his way, and for his glory. This is 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And if you're a longtime Bethelonian, you know that we've done lots and lots of messages on that very point. And so I won't belabor it, 
My book, Eyes Wide Open, is also an explanation of what that means. Forgive the free advertisement. The sort of man-made rules, then, that the weak, were, their conscience was aligned to, and that the Pharisees promoted, hoping and thinking that somehow by living according to the man-made rules, my life will be pleasing or more pleasing to God, is just a fallacy. That's not what God is expecting. And in reality, these man-made rules don't actually curb the passions of the heart. They don't stop us from sinning. In fact, in many ways, the rules make us want to sin more. I mean, you can, you can go to a, uh, an art uh, studio or an art museum and walk around for hours, but the moment you see a sign that says, stay three feet away from the paintings, what do you want to do? You want to go to two feet in front of those paintings. Maybe even one foot, maybe even touch it. Why? Because now they've told me I can't. And that's the exact thing that I want. And this is where these, some people call them legalistic rules, they just, they fail in what they're trying to accomplish. Here's Colossians 2. If with Christ you died to the elementary uh, spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring uh, to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Or to say it this way in terms of Romans 14, you can eat kosher the rest of your life. It doesn't make you more Christ-like. You can eat kosher every day and it doesn't make you one bit more godly or one bit more pleasing to God. And so the lifestyles in this, ish, in this Roman church, the strong were right, but at the same time, they were very, very wrong. Very wrong. Look at verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. And if you notice in the text, there's a cluster of words that are all kind of getting at the same thing here. Grieved, verse 15. Destroy, verse 16. Stumble and hindrance, verse 13. And when we take these all as a whole, they're describing basically the same thing. That when the strong uh, condescend to the weak, or when they flaunt their freedom in a way that is injurious to the weak faith brother, they are themselves wrong in doing it. So what Paul is doing here is he's describing an approach to disputable matters in which the strong are injuring the weak. Now, here's an important point. In what way are they doing that? Because there's some people that they, they take this passage and they basically use it as a billy club on the, on the strong and require the entire church to conform to their way of looking at things. I'm weak and you're all gonna be weak with me, okay? Because if I even hear about you participating in your freedom, well then now you are doing injury to me and so you're all gonna have to do it my way. Is that what he's promoting? No, okay? It's not that it makes the weak uh, sad, it's not that it makes the weak mad. What he is getting at here is that when the strong 
are either flaunting or exerting peer pressure on the weak to do something their conscience does not allow them to do. They are now injuring the faith of their weaker brother. And they are causing that weaker brother, himself, herself, to sin. That is the stumbling block here. So these, these words, there, there's a, an effect here, a flaunting of freedom that it can have within the congregation. Now, at issue here is the conscience. And I'm, next week we're gonna talk about the conscience because that's a big part of Romans 14. Did you hear him say, you know what? If your conscience says it's wrong, then for you it's wrong. Even though somebody else, for them it's right, it's okay for them. What? What is that all about? That's next week's message, okay? And how we can change our conscience and align it with the word of God. But the weak in faith have a weak and condemning conscience in areas that the strong have freedom. And so for the strong to be all like, hey man, you just do it anyway. Or come on, we're all participating in this. Why don't you do it with us? And that weaker brother or sister is wilting because their conscience is condemning them. But because of the relationship, they perhaps violate their conscience. And so we see in this that there is a way on these issues to be right and at the same, same time to be very, very wrong. Here's how Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. I can be amazing, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. I can be awesome and terrible at the same time if I don't have love. Love seeks the good of others. Love puts their needs ahead of my own. And as I was preparing this, I, I got thinking to myself about how many times I, as pastor here at the church, I have failed in this area. Uh, you know, to, it, it, over the years, you know, talking with somebody, they're convinced that the Apostle Paul also read the King James Version. Brother, you realize that's impossible. It's right! And I, and I, I get all worked up about it and... Pastor Steve, God only likes my kind of music and we better have that here. And it's not long before the veins start kind of bulging out of the neck and almost the eyes start to bulge and people get engaged in these debates about really not that important stuff that takes on a life of its own and suddenly becomes this big thing. And we're all like, you know, we're going to the mat about this issue and it doesn't take long for that wildfire to just, you know, I've seen it many times. Now I will tell you that if you don't know my story, most of my years here at Bethel Church pastoring, I was a single man. But I have found that marriage has a way of helping in this particular area. Because in marriage, uh, I've learned that I can be technically correct and very, very wrong at the same time. Amen. <laughs> have you noticed how this works in marriage? So I have decided, after eight years of seasoning, I've decided to land with the wise husbands who are okay being wrong in order to be maritally right. And all the wise husbands said? Amen. 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 Okay. So Romans here is not saying that any Christian has to give up their freedom in Christ in a particular area. He's not saying that but rather to restrain it for the spiritual good of our brothers 
And sisters, don't cause them to violate their conscience. Like this creates an actual sin for them. And don't create schisms in the church for the sake of your food choice or your perspective on the Sabbath or whatever else it might be. Don't take your freedom in a non-essential area and destroy the work of God and divide the church and take people down because I'm on this issue. No. What should I do? Well, I'm strong in my faith, but my extended family isn't. I'm strong in my faith, but my fellow small group members aren't. What should I do? Verse 21, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. And this now is the role of the strong in the church. You know, there's freedoms that maybe you have. Okay, enjoy it, but, but don't flaunt it and find a place where it's you and God and you can just enjoy that rather than possibly flaunting it at the church potluck. Don't do it. So that's the word that he has to the strong, and he's got really the whole rest of the chapter through, you could say, uh, verse 3 of chapter 15 is exhortations to the strong. He doesn't say to the weak, grow up, but he has a whole lot to say to the strong about uh, their role in the church, and we'll get into more of that as the weeks unfold here. Now you might say, why should I care about this? Maybe you're visiting here today and you're like... Vegetables or pork? Is that what this church is all about? Why are we spending time on, on this? Like, can't we skip this passage? Because it doesn't seem relevant at all. Oh, my dear friend, you are sadly mistaken. Because what Romans 14 does is it highlights for us an incredibly important principle for Christians and for any local church. And the summary of that importance is verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. These are not the important things in the kingdom of God, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. What Paul is saying to the strong is your priorities are all messed up here. Like the things that you're thinking are the really important things are the not so important things. But in doing that, you are missing the fact that there are important things that you actually should be passionate about. These liberty issues are not what the church is all about. And when it seems like this is what people are all about, it trivializes the important things in the church, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or what he lists here in verse 17, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And how much damage is done in churches and even Christian families when there are minor things that the Bible doesn't say that we're all about or is important at all, when these minor things are elevated in some way to being a major thing. And then now all of a sudden, churches are burning to the ground because of this minor thing that God doesn't care about, but rises in importance within the church. It's happened many, many times. So I'd like to share something. This is a tool, I've used this in years gone by, that was developed by my mentor in ministry, Kimber Kaufman, many years ago, uh, called the Inverted Pyramid. Okay, the Inverted Pyramid. And by the way, I wanna emphasize, these things are not exhaustive. If you put that up for me, please. But it, it, it's, a, it's a way of looking at what's important and what's not so important. And so we look at this, and 
in the church, what is critical in the church? It is the person and the work of Jesus Christ, okay? Who he is, what he does, what he did, what he will do. Here now is the foundation of the church. We are built upon Jesus Christ. Now, does that mean that nothing else is important? No, there's other important things. We can move up here to absolutely critical doctrines like the Trinity, uh, creation, fall, redemption, and all the things surrounding that, the second coming of Christ, the authority of the Bible. You could probably add a few more there. These are representative of a level of like, you deny these things, we call that heresy. And you have a gospel that doesn't get you to heaven, okay? These are absolutely critical. But we continue up the pyramid and we get to important but maybe not critical truths, Christian ethics, okay? Absolutely critical, I mean, majorly important. Human personhood and sexuality, doctrines of grace. Again, you could add many things there. But can you have a difference of opinion on some of these things and, and still be, Romans 14, 1, welcomed by God into heaven? Can people disagree maybe on some of these things and still go to heaven? How do we know what is an essential thing and what is a non-essential thing? An essential thing is you believe it, God welcomes you, you deny it, you go to hell. That's an essential thing. But not everything is essential. In fact, we keep moving up the list. And, you know, the, up here, these are, I've got, I've got uh, shelves of books written on this stuff up here. Like, it's still important, and we, you know, we had positions on it. You know, denominations are founded on maybe differences in some of these things. Okay, views on sanctification, method of Baptist communion. You keep going up, you've got different ways to govern the church and views on spiritual gifts, different worship styles, these Christian liberty issues. You could probably have another level on top of that. But I hope you get the point that what, what this is saying is basically Romans 14, verse 17, that the kingdom of God is not about this stuff, it's about this stuff. And when God's people are, are treasuring and loving and living for in wonder that God would save a sinner like me, that I, that I would even be in the grace of God, that I am under his redemption, that Jesus is coming, that, that God is mine. When, I'm, when I am like about these things, these things up here, while important, I take a bullet for these. And many Christians down through history have taken a bullet, burned at the stake, etc. Am, am I going to get burned at the stake uh, over my view on church governance? I hope not. <laughs> Nobody's reaching for the, uh, their lighter right now, I hope. Well, I don't want to die over these things, right? Because it's not worth it. These are not the essential things. Now we call this, over the years, we've called this weighted theology here at Bethel Church. Not everything is as important as everything else. It doesn't mean we don't have positions on it, we don't have opinions on it, but not everything is the same. Especially these personal preference issues in terms of lifestyle choices. You know, within, within the same church, within the same small group, even within the same marriage, you can have differences of opinion on some of those things and still love each other and go forward for Jesus. Not everything is as important as anything, everything else. And so what Paul is urging here is when you get to this, up, you know, on this level, we do not, like, we do not change. We cannot change. 
But on this level, he's urging us to have gospel flexibility and to apply some love. In fact, you see the note here, love is the mortar in all of this that keeps us uh, all together. Love is critical for holding the church uh, together. And when we get up to these upper things, now we get more flexible. And now the glory of God, hey, you know what? This isn't something I'm going to, you know, uh, break fellowship with you about. I ain't switching churches over. I'm not going to, like, throw stones at you on social media about. It's not that important. Not as much as the others. And my burden on this is that you could listen to the Romans 14 and you could apply the gospel flexibility to all of it. You say, hey, you know what? We'll just agree to disagree. You don't believe in the Trinity? Ah, it doesn't matter. No, it does matter, okay? It's critically important. Because the spirit of the age that we live in today, this kind of pluralistic society is, as long as you're sincere about whatever you believe, that's all that matters. So you believe that, I believe that, hey, let's just hold hands and go forward for Jesus. And I don't want our church to subtly undermine the creedal, doctrinal, truth foundation of our church by misapplying Romans 14 to essential things. But we better be good at applying it to the non-essential things. Because here's what too often happens. Don't let this confuse you too much, but uh, go ahead and, and flip that if you would. This is what happens in churches all the time. Maybe you've been in a church like this, okay? where we pay lip service to these things. Oh, yes, we believe in the doctrines of Jesus and inspiration of Scripture. Yes, yes, yes. But we don't talk about it. What do we want to talk about? We want to talk about all this stuff. And in reality, in terms of the life of the local church, the conversation, the heart, the passion is on this stuff down here. And guess what happens when Jesus, when it's not all about him, and it becomes all about this stuff down here. Now churches are burning to the ground about the silliest of things. That was the danger at Rome. And it is the danger for us as well. Now may I get a little contemporary in my application of this chart because, you know, we seem to be living in a day that has a few conversations going on about things that seem to be really important to people. And if I might just pick a couple here, where would you put on the chart matters related to uh, COVID and the use of PPE? Perhaps six feet, seven feet, four feet, social distancing. Okay, so turn the... Okay, we got the chart the right way. All right, so let's go back to the chart about things that we should really see as important in the church. Where, where do you put the PPE viral stuff? Okay, are we, are we down in here? I hope not. Are we in here? Nope. Are we even up here? I don't think so. Like that stuff's off the chart in terms of significance. Here. And yet, can anybody today deny that local churches and people in local churches over the last six months have had the veins bulging and the eyes popping and the tons of passion around 
The person work of Jesus, no. It's been about something that we can't even put on the chart we have here in terms of its importance. But this is how things take on a life of their own. In a mature church, we have to see these things through the grid of scripture and understand what's important and what is not. So the next time there's a blow up in the church about something, maybe you'll think about this chart and go, okay, now where does that fit in the list? And a reminder that love is the mortar that keeps all these things together. Now I wanna share a, a story. I don't do this very often, but it, it fits so well. I've heard Erwin Lutzer tell this story a few times and maybe you've heard this before, but it's a story that highlights how little things can become big things. I think he got it from somebody else, but uh, here's what he, he, has, he has said. Once I saw this guy on a bridge about to jump, I said, don't do it. He said, nobody loves me. I said, God loves you. Do you believe in God? He says, yes. I said, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. I said, me too. Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. What franchise? He said, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Lakes Region. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. I said, die, heretic, and I pushed him off the bridge. <laughs> I've been in that church. <laughs> and as one author points out, you know what really is the cure to this? It is God's people being amazed at the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is actually going on in a local church when a minor thing is being made a major thing? It is a dismissing of the gospel as the major thing and Jesus as the major focus of the local church. It is a loss of him and a replacement of him with the silly thing, the thing that isn't worship or worth it. You know, they say don't go shopping when you're hungry, because grocery shopping that is. You know what happens when you go grocery shopping when, when you're hungry, right? You'll buy anything, like ho-hos, chips, like you're just filling the thing, like it all looks good. I'm, I need some of this right now. It all seems incredibly important. But when you're satisfied and you go grocery shopping, now the ho-hos aren't quite as enticing. And now the chips don't seem to be quite as good. And within the gospel itself, is the wonder that God would save somebody like me. To be a Christian is to be amazed at the grace of God, to me. Within that very gospel, there is a wonder that God would place me in the redeemed community in the first place. I don't deserve to be here. 
It is totally grace that allows me to be in a local church. And when I'm in wonder that God would save someone like me, restraining liberty over minor things for the good of somebody else is very doable. And so I'm urging us here, why do we need to not ever get over the gospel or get over the essential truths and doctrines of the church? Because if we do, we open the door to some other thing becoming the passion of the church. Some other person, some other teaching, some little nuance, some little whatever now becomes the thing that we're about. Those things are the trivial things. The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, blah, blah, blah. It's about joy in the Holy Spirit. So what would God say to the Christian uh, today who probably hasn't read his Bible that much and hasn't spent that much time in prayer? But the hours dedicated to the presidential election are hard to count in terms of their thoughts and the worries of their heart. The thoughts about the culture wars going on right now have filled their minds and their time. The worries and the fears, they all relate to what's happening in the world around us. What might God say to a Christian like that? I think he would say the kingdom of God is not about worrying who the next president is or who the next Supreme Court justice is or the electoral college ballot count or the all-important county coroner election. In other words, don't trivialize your soul by being consumed with lesser things. God made us for worship. God made us for a life lived for him with our passions related to the things that matter forever. These are all trivial things in a world that the Bible says is passing away. So let's live for the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, as Jesus said. Don't trivialize your life with lesser things. Be a faithful citizen, okay? Go vote, you know, watch the things and all the rest. But don't turn the pyramid upside down. You were made for so much more. Now maybe you're in there and you're thinking to yourself, but my conscience is still captive in this area. What do I do? How do I, I want to be strong in faith, but I feel like my back, I'm weak. And what do I do with my conscience? You know what? That's next Sunday. Okay? That's next Sunday. And we have some really important things to say next Sunday. I hope that you'll join us. But I want to keep this very wonderful summary statement about Romans 14 before us, and with this I'll conclude. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. That's Romans 14.